Welcome to the Practice Brave Podcast. I'm your host, Brianna Battles, a strength and conditioning coach and the founder of Pregnancy and Postpartum Athleticism. The Practice Brave Podcast brings you the relatable, trustworthy, and transparent health and fitness information you're looking for when it comes to coaching, being coached, and transitioning through the variables of motherhood and womanhood. If you're a pregnant or postpartum athlete or a coach working with this population, this show is specifically designed for you. All right, let's get started. Hey guys, welcome back to the Practice Brave podcast. I'm so excited to be here with my friend, fellow fitness professional, Amanda Thebe, and she just came out with a new book called Menopocalypse. So today we're going to be talking about menopause because that is something that we will all, as women, be venturing into, whether it's soon or a few years from now. And I feel like very similar to pregnancy and postpartum where we, we get cut off guard by some of the things of, why didn't anyone tell me? Apparently, (laughs) menopause carries some similar sentiments, and I'm really excited to have Amanda here to talk to us through some of this conversation in a really relatable way. So Amanda, thank you for being here. Tell us a bit about yourself. Thank you for having me on the show, Brie. I'm really excited to be here. And I just want to say to your audience who are probably thinking, I don't want to listen to a show about menopause. Just bear in mind that perimenopause can start in your late 30s, early 40s. And so it's just around the corner for a lot of women. And probably like me, you didn't know much about it or anything about it in in my case. And so I think one of the reasons I'm happy to sort of talk about the book and the reason I wrote the book is that I feel as though this is another missing piece of the puzzle. I feel like we bridge lots of gaps. You know, we bridge the gap to pregnancy. We bridge the gap to postpartum. And, you know, you know, we stopped doing crunches, ladies. You know, we became educated about postpartum. And then now menopause is the new thing we need to bridge and we need to open the conversation about. And so that's essentially why I wrote the book. But what happened to me personally is, you know, I've been in the health and wellness industry for decades. I think I became a personal trainer when I was 20, 21, and I turned 50 in a few days. And so it's a long time being in an industry and never, ever hearing the word perimenopause or menopause. And so what happened to me is in my early 40s, about 43, I went from being a little bit smug, thinking, look at me, I'm sort of nailing this aging business. You know, I'm fit, I'm healthy. I've invested a lot of time and energy in being sort of like as well as I can be. And then I started just getting unwell and I just got like a different amount of symptoms that would come and go. And essentially for two years, I started struggling with symptoms that were migraines, vertigo, depression, some incontinence, general mood swings, and um, amongst a few other things that were always left undiagnosed. And it was, it's really hard to explain this, but I would go to the doctors who would refer me to a specialist, maybe a neurologist or an ear, nose and throat doctor. You know, I, I got referred to multiple specialists, loads of different testing like MRI, CAT scans, you name it. I had it. All of them were like, yeah, we can see you don't look well, but our results are inconclusive. We don't know what's wrong with you. And it was very, very frustrating. I had two years of not feeling like myself, not thriving and not living fully, 
because I was bogged down with these awful symptoms that nobody could explain. And it was a horrible, desperate time. Um, and then I went for a gynecological checkup, just like an, I think I used to go every two years at the time for something else. And he recognized that something wasn't quite right. He asked me if I was okay. I started crying because I'm a big baby when I go to the doctor. So I was like, no, I'm not okay. And he just said, you know, these are very typical symptoms of perimenopause. You do not need to struggle. You can be helped. I can help you. And just of not going crazy and you're not alone. And it was basically that that was the start of me going down the perimenopause, menopause rabbit hole. And it's where I've got to today. I've just started being very vocal about it. I I said to my husband, I'm going to put my vagina on the line for women because we need to just talk about everything. And, and, And it is now starting to be a more topical conversation. It isn't as taboo, I don't think, as it maybe once was. Oh, absolutely. And I love, I love hearing this because it's so often in my coaching now, I've, the messages evolves beyond pregnancy and postpartum. It's really just about supporting women in a coaching capacity through their lifetime of athleticism. And we're seeing just like with pregnancy and postpartum, we're now seeing maybe more women who are wanting to train and be athletic during those chapters. And that motherhood doesn't end athleticism but neither does menopause. And if we're really working to encourage that lifetime of fitness, then we have to have some context around what that actually looks like and what to be aware of and things that we should know about our body. And, and I'm really grateful that you're, that you're putting your vagina on the line mm-hmm. and sharing this conversation because where, where else are we learning that from? You know, like the information is not super accessible. I think for the majority of us, maybe in our late 20s or early 30s, where we have a lot of examples of women that are actually talking about menopause as it relates to their healthy lifestyle. It's very interesting because you're right, it's just not accessible. And often, you know, women in their 20s and 30s don't look at menopause as something that's sort of relevant to them. And I get that. I was the same in my late 30s, early 40s. I was like, yeah, menopause, whatever. Don't you just stop getting your periods and then that's it. You're, You're in menopause. And so there's a lot of misconceptions and sort of myths out there that I try and sort of explain in the book. And um, I also really got very, very frustrated because when I wanted answers, you know, I had obviously Dr. Google and it's the worst thing you can do, you know, like just going down those rabbit holes. But when I realized this, there was sort of like two camps. There was like the women who'd talked about menopause, written about it in that sort of like flippant goofy, ha, 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 I'm having hot flashes. I'm now a hot woman. And and it was a little bit to me, a little bit belittling and dismissive. And I just thought, yeah, you can be funny and make light of it. I mean, my book is very palatable in that way. I, I write it in a very human way. But stop pretending that it isn't a real issue for a lot of women. Stop pretending that these things don't matter. And we're also not going to run through the fields in a white floaty dress thinking life is wonderful either. Stop that bullshit. It's not okay. And then on the flip side, we had our eye. All I could find was these medical books and journals that my cognitive ability wasn't there to be able to absorb this information. Menopause can definitely affect our our cognitive um, resources. And so therefore, like reading a medical book is just usually not something that's easy to, you know, digest. So I felt like I I wanted like an idiot's guide to menopause, which is essentially what I wrote. 
and I wrote it based on my experiences and some fact finding, you know, deep dive research. But I also then became sort of like associated with loads of medical experts that were so helpful and desperate to share their knowledge. So the book's sort of like full of a wealth of information from people that actually do this for a living, you know, and help women. Oh, I love that you've put it out there and have created this accessible resource for women because like what I've read so far is it's just, it's really digestible. It's cheeky. Like you're like an easy person to listen to and an easy person. It's just an easy read where it's enjoyable versus like a lot of medical jargon and things. You're like, what does it actually mean? And I think that's what we need is just like some straightforward, no BS conversation. And I think you deliver that so incredibly well. And it's very interesting what you said, though, about women and their athletic ability and their belief in themselves. And it's something I sort of dig deep into, into the book, because it's sort of something I experienced myself. And you will have too through your pregnancies. And it's the idea that you just can't do stuff anymore. You've got this message and narrative in our head that's like, you can't. You can't do that anymore, whether it's age or health or, you know, circumstances that are your barrier. I sort of try and help women sort of bring that together and say, you know, you have to start having some belief in yourself. You know, there's, there's been a lot of scientific papers written on the philosophy of like why women stop believing in their athletic ability, especially during midlife, you know, whether it's exhaustion, boredom, unhappiness literally too many balls in the air. <laughs> you know, I, I, I like to think of like menopausal women in midlife as being the ultimate roadrunner. I mean, you're all, you already are when you've got little babies, but then you come to midlife and you then all of a sudden looking after your aging parents and you've got kids leaving home to go to college and you, your career is there. And maybe you're thinking of divorcing your husband because he's a dick. You know, all of these things are happening. <laughs> and so I really try and hone into like a woman's values and strengths during this time and sort of point her in the right direction to say, you know, you do have value and you do have strengths and you can overcome and you can believe in your ultimate strength, not of just physical strength, but of character as well. God, that's so beautiful. And I, I love that you, that you touch on that because I do think I can anticipate anyway that it would be a huge shift in your identity. So many things are changing. Your responsibilities have evolved and what your life looks like at 20 or 30 or 40 is likely different than what it looks like. And we know that logically. We know that, you know, things evolve, things change, bodies, responsibilities, uh, seasons. But I love that you are, I guess, promoting that, that belief in themselves. Where that change is actually okay. Change is right. hard, but change is okay. And, and it's a little bit of an acceptance time, I think, right? right? Right. And we see that with postpartum, you know, like women are adapting to, well, now there's a new baby or another baby to take care of. And my body is different and my feelings are different. Maybe my career is different. Like there's so many like significant changes that kind of happen all at once. But it, it's almost, I would think, easier to, to spin it where it's like, but I have this baby and it's a temporary season, you know, and we kind of know what to expect and we, it's talked about more. But with menopause, there's, it seems like there's a lot of like shame and taboo and we can't really talk about that. And it's a different thing, whereas it's easier to talk about postpartum and babies and body changes there and not as, I guess, it's not as easy or relevant to talk about menopause. It's not- 
you've hit the nail on the head and it's interesting because those two years where I wasn't sure what was wrong with me, the, the, the instinct for myself and the instinct for a lot of women is like, what's wrong with me? Why aren't I just getting over this? Why can't I just move on? And so you're not only just filled with shame, that it's also very isolating because I never shared this with anybody. I had like a, a thriving business, you know, like you, I was coaching women and I just wanted to make them feel good about themselves. So I would invest all of my time and energy on those women, but go home and feel sad, isolated, lonely, and feel really crap about myself, right? I wasn't coaching myself the way I coached you know, my clients and, but it's very, that's a very typical response, I think. And, and I think it's the unknown. It's very difficult to go through changes and go through symptoms that impact quality of life without having knowledge and education and potentially sort of like an end date. Like right. when, when will this be over? Right. And I know like with myself and I think a lot of like athletic minded people, we're like, well, what do I do to fix this? How can I fix this? What should I be doing to like make it better? Have like, we're kind of constantly seeking control in different, like in literally for me, every aspect of my life, I'm trying to understand and have a grasp on so that I'm not so caught off guard. And I think when you're in the trenches of experiencing something weird with your body, it makes you feel crazy because you're just Mm -hmm. trying to fix it. And there's no, you're never it's just being unsettled all the time. And that's a really hard feeling to have to sit with. Yeah. And that's also the reason for creating the conversation, because as soon as you tell somebody, it's like anything, especially you think about postpartum depression, a lot of women carry a lot of shame over that. And we know you just shouldn't, you know, like it's, it's an evolution that's like, we've come to a place where we're like, it's okay to talk about postpartum depression. Right. We understand a lot about it. We are here to support you. And it's the same with sort of going through the unusual symptoms of perimenopause as well. It's like, don't keep it to yourself. Actually talk to people about it because one, you're likely to get a lot of support from them. And two, it just lessens the burden. The minute you share, it lessens that burden. Right. Absolutely. Well, why don't we like, why don't we talk about what some of the symptoms are? And I know that there are a lot of different symptoms, but can you Basically, if you were talking to somebody who's in their 30s and this is what you wanted them to know and be aware of for their body from a symptom standpoint, what would they be? Well, you know what I'll do? Yeah, I know. I mean, how long have you got? Go and, know, put, the, go and put the kettle on, ladies. And I'll, uh, <laughs> Well, it's interesting because I think that what I might do is quickly sort of tell you this, like the stages as well, because it yes. will make it just make a bit more sense. So menopause is a, basically a point in time where a woman no longer has her period for 12 consecutive months. That's when you're considered to be menopausal. You can no longer reproduce, you know, like your ovaries have said bye-bye, and then you move then into post-menopause or your menopausal, you know, and then you've got potentially like one third or one half of your life left to go. But the time leading up to menopause is called perimenopause. And this is something I knew nothing about at all. And it was my gynecologist that was the first person that ever said the word to me, you're perimenopausal. And perimenopause is essentially the time leading up to menopause, to that time when you no longer have your period. And it can last between eight and 10 years. It can start in your late 30s, early 40s, the average age for women to be menopausal in North America is 51. So if you think about it, you could start at 41, like even earlier, 38. I was about 39. When I um, started perimenopause, I'm 
49 now and I've been postmenopausal for a year. It's early, but it's still within the range. So, you know, it's not that far away. And then what happens in perimenopause is your sex hormones start to decline. Progesterone tends to decline in a very linear way, like a slide. It slides down and estrogen fluctuates all over the place. It's totally like batshit crazy. There's no rhyme, no reason. And so because of that, your symptoms will come and go. They'll fluctuate. They'll change. They'll change as you go through this you know, season of perimenopause. And so one woman's experience Maybe completely different to yours. You may not it's like pregnancy. I had the right. worst pregnancy with my friend who sailed through it joyously. It drove me crazy. But you know, like we're all very different. Some of the perimenopausal symptoms that are more, more common are, first of all, changes in your period, like irregular periods, depression, anxiety, hot flashes. Vaginal dryness, um, and we'll talk about that actually because it relates to some of the um, you know work women do with postpartum as well. Incontinence, sleep problems, mood changes, weight gain, short-term memory loss, and other cognitive imp- impairments that can be quite challenging for women. Migraines, fatigue, sex drive, bloating, and, um, and food sensitivities. And then you know there's other things that are a little bit less well-known, I suppose, you know, like women get um, vertigo, hearing problems, worsening allergies, burning tongue, bleeding gums, breast pain. Honestly, it goes on forever. And then there's the psychological changes that we we sort of touched on, this lack of self-confidence, the feeling of invisibility and isolation. They become very real when you're potentially struggling with some or all of these symptoms. Yeah. And so, I, like I said, these can come and go. And, and then what will happen in as your hormones start to sort of decline to the lowest point it will go to and you go into postmenopause, that leveling off tends to find that women find their symptoms at least ease somewhat. And some of the more crazy symptoms can, can actually go. But there are a large majority of women that continue to have symptoms postmenopause. And you're postmenopausal until the day you die. So it could be 30 years, it could be 50 years. Who knows? And some of those type of symptoms are vasomotor symptoms. And vasomotor symptoms symptoms that impact your thermoregulatory system. So night sweats, hot flashes, cold flashes. Vaginal atrophy is something that if you have, and most women are likely to experience this because estrogen is sort of like a protective hormone of the vaginal and vaginal area. That's something that will never cure itself and will never get better. So it has to be managed. It has to be cared for continuously. So, you know, it's not all plain sailing once you get through to postmenopause. And then at that stage, then you then are without your sex hormones, estrogen and progesterone. And they have a very impactful, how can I say, they, they're, very, they're very impactful on our overall body because their estrogen receptors are all over our they're in our brain, they're in our joints, they protect our heart. And so as soon as that hormone starts to decline, women then become open to diseases that actually kill us. You know, they're actually the ones that take our life, heart disease, osteoporosis, Alzheimer's. Um, And so it's really important to know that once menopause happens, you then have to be very, very proactive in your health to make sure that when you age, you're going to do it resiliently and healthy. 
Oh, holy shit, right? <laughs> it's a lot, isn't it? Like, I mean, ugh, it was a bit of verbal diarrhea. That it's a, it's a lot to take in, but the, the whole point is that it's a big change and it's something that you can be super proactive about. Right, right. and I think that's like the take-home message because I don't know, I'm sitting there going, oh, do I have yeah. that? Like, and I know like so many of us sit there and go, okay, check, check, or okay, not that. But then, you know, you become, it's like this fine line of being like really aware of your body and then you're hyper aware of your body and, and knowing what to do and who to talk to. So like, what are our resources when, you know, maybe people are listening or like, oh, I, I resonate with a lot of those symptoms. So now what? And who do I talk to? And what do I do? Of yeah, course, exactly. your book, but like locally, like what can they do? <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I do put resources in the book. Now, I mean, it's, it's very challenging. I mean, there's a number of different things women can do. I mean, stay on top of your health is one of the things. I mean, this isn't going to, like you said, this isn't going to fix anything. And we have to move away from that sort of narrative of like trying to fix each other and fix ourselves. But you need to do as much as you can to support your health, you know, so try and stay at a healthy weight, eat nutritious food, move daily, you know, remain stress-free as much as possible. I mean, all of those things are challenged because estrogen impacts our, um, and progesterone impact our sleep, our cortisol estrogen connection is changed. And so we're more open to being stressed, you know, not coping with our stresses. And so things become a little bit more challenging, but if you can sort of like be proactive and at least look out for those and sort of make that part of like your lifestyle, that's one thing you can do. But honestly, being fit and healthy isn't a guarantee you won't get symptoms. And I'm like a prime example of that. I really couldn't have done anything more for my health and I still got slammed. One of the doctors I use as a resource in the book went to a conference and said that, you know, it was a yoga conference and the girls were all talking saying, well, I'm not going to struggle. I mean, I do yoga. Come on. I mean, that's just such an ignorant and um, narrow-minded view on things. You don't know what's going to happen, but you can be proactive in those measures. If you are having symptoms that are impacting your quality of life, and I mean like the women's suicide rate and divorce rate is at its absolute peak during these times. There's a, a complete association with those. So we need to make sure that you don't suffer you should seek out a menopause specialist. And this is where it gets tricky. In, the, in our medical community, doctors do not get trained in menopause management at all. There's no train, training at all. And there's still a belief that hormone replacement therapy, which is like a microdose of estrogen and progesterone, if you have a uterus, like a way less than the birth control pill would be. It's very small doses that it can cause breast cancer. And, the, and it's a false narrative and it's actually been disproven so many times, but we, for some reason in the back of the doctors really struggle to keep up with medical literature. They're just so busy. Right. And so there's often this misconstrued idea that it's dangerous. And we know it's not because medical governing bodies have approved this as the first line treatment for women in perimenopause and it often can change a woman's life just add in a tiny dose of estrogen back in to sort of stabilize that craziness so if you go to your doctor and you ask for hormone replacement therapy or help and they refuse to give it to you or they offer you antidepressants because that's usually the first thing that they do then ask for a referral to a menopause specialist you can go to menopause.org that's the website for the north american menopause society and they have a list of providers 
And if you just put your area code in, you'll find menopause trained gynecologists there that can help you. And there's also some telemedicine services that will do this in your area too. But even if you get referred to a gynecologist, apparently only 20% of gynecologists go through menopause management training in their fellowship. It's really terrible that we're not supported in this important time of our health, but it's true. And so I really encourage women to be advocates for themselves. I personally went to my doctor knowing what I wanted, understanding what I was supposed to be offered. And when he refused, I actually said to him, this is what the North American Menopause Society recommend. These are some FDA approved drugs that you can offer me. And he did. And then he actually emailed me later and said, thank you. I didn't realize. And now I know. So, you know, like it's maybe that they're not ignorant. It's just that they maybe just don't know. Right. And again, I relate this back to postpartum because that's what I can understand well is, well, why didn't anyone tell me, you know, about prolapse or incontinence or diastasis or pelvic pain? And why didn't I know that, you know, painful sex wasn't like a normal part of postpartum, right? Like we just feel so misled or misguided by different medical professionals or just our, the birth community in general, right? But now it seems like that same conversation is even more prevalent in the menopause medical community. And I mean, I think you're, you obviously are, are hundred percent right about having to be advocates and just staying on top of it and not just settling for, for the minimum. And we used to, I mean, we come from the next generation. I know our, my mom and your mom probably had complete trust in the medical community, right? We just, if the doctor said it was true, then it's true. And I just feel like you, it is okay to question them. It is okay to say, are you sure? I don't believe that's to be true. I actually want you to look into that further for me. And if you want, can you please do me a referral? You're paying for that service over here. So you might as well get what you want. It's interesting what you said about postpartum diastasis, pelvic floor health. It's, it really matters in postpartum that you do your best to sort of correct any of those um, sort of like misalignments. So if you can work on making diastasis work, you know, like come back together, if you can get your pelvic floor working in conjunction you know, with your diaphragm and your, and then multifidus and all of those things, you know, I'm sure you talk about working those four areas together and diaphragmatic breathing. And it really, really matters that that sort of already sort of like resolved, if I, it's a terrible way to say it, but as you, before you go into perimenopause, because that whole area is impacted as soon as estrogen starts to decline, the whole integrity can go And a lot of women who struggled with diastasis and pelvic floor issues during pregnancy will find that they struggle with prolapses even more during perimenopause and menopause. And so, I mean, I completely 100% advocate for pelvic health physiotherapists right straight away as soon as the first little bit of incontinence comes, just go, just go and see someone and do what you can do proactively to help yourself. And for a lot of women, Using a localized estrogen cream is actually just enough to just restore some of that estrogen in the, in the localized area. It doesn't go into the body systemically, but it stays in that vaginal area and it can really help like resolve things like UTIs and do you call it thrush here? Like yeast infections and incontinence. All of those things are very common in perimenopause. And so please don't be shy. Don't be worried about talking to your doctor about this or the menopause specialist. 
be, be really open about it because you should not struggle with things like that. Right. And I think for, for so many people listening, if you're experiencing any pelvic health symptoms right now, like incontinence or prolapse, and you just, and it's been something that you're, you're kind of like, well, I don't want to deal with it. I don't want to deal with it. Or I only pee when I do double unders, or I only pee when I like sprint or something like that, or I only pee a little bit when I sneeze. And it's not that big of a deal. Like that's a sentiment that I get from a lot of like my high, like a lot of like my CrossFit athletes or like my athletes, runners, right? Like yeah. they kind of just don't want to deal with it because it's only a big deal or it's not that big of a deal to them, but it's not that big of a deal right now. Like be an advocate for the you 10 years from now, be an advocate for your body 20 years from now and address what you can now so that you have the best quality of life moving forward. It all matters. And it's actually one of those symptoms, especially the incontinence. It's one of the really big symptoms of perimenopause and menopause. And a lot of women don't seek help. And I think it's like, you know, like when surveyed, I think it's in the high 80% 80 of women have it, but don't seek help because they're embarrassed about it. Yeah. And the thing is the treatment for, for, for it through perimenopause and menopause is fairly simple. And that's the, that's always what I always kind of coming up, end up saying, why are we making it so complicated? Because usually the solutions are fairly simple. I know. And it, it really is just getting people to see that it actually, we can do something about it and there is help and it does matter. It's a sign that something is slightly off with how your body is functioning. And that's you know, we, we have an expression in the UK, do you say it here, there's a rabbit off. And I don't know what it means, <laughs> but we always say when something's not right, we say, oh, there's a rabbit off. And I still don't know what it means, but I say it all the time. <laughs> well, yeah, we don't say that here, but I get the sentiment and, and it's right. You have to pay attention to those little things with your body and, and be willing to seek out the answers, even when it's inconvenient. Yeah, absolutely. Oh my gosh, this is a really good information. So I want to shift gears into how does menopause impact our fitness? Interesting, right? So, I mean, that's a big open question. I know. I mean, you know, a lot of the symptoms in perimenopause are masked by this overwhelming sense of chronic fatigue. And it's sort of been almost like mirrored to chronic fatigue syndrome because it tends not to lift often, you know, like the, the fluctuating hormones can just leave women feeling completely depleted without the ability to sleep it off or rest it off, if that makes sense. Now, hormones are very, very powerful things. And so to me, I see a lot of women complaining that, you know, maybe they're putting on weight or you know, well, that, that's always a big thing in, in perimenopause. And what tends to happen is, you know, the, these overriding symptoms make women more tired, less cognitively aware. We look for comfort in other ways. We don't move as much. And so, you know, a lot of women struggle to sort of keep a handle on their fitness. And I get that, right? Things like uh, running, like you just said you'd been out for a run before the podcast and I was a big runner and I had to stop running for a few years because it was one of those activities that just I couldn't recover from easily. We sort of know it puts us in a little bit of a breakdown state more than a, a, a fitness workout would, more than a strength workout, like a strength workout, you know, you can recover fairly quickly from. And so that catabolic state of running is sometimes harder to recover from. 
And I just found it easier just to drop the running and just add walking in just so that I was moving. I am a huge advocate for strength training through perimenopause and menopause though. I mean, I'm a strength coach. So yeah, duh. I've obviously got a bias towards that, but I think rightly so. I mean, your audience follows you. They know you love strength training, but it sort of becomes more important as we age anyway, because we know as we age, we become uh, like a target for sarcopenia, like about 3% a year of our muscle degradation from the age of 30. So we know that our muscle is going to slowly sort of start to break down as we get older. And menopause pushes that along a little bit quicker. So a lot of women are like, I've gone from being like super fit to being all soft and squishy. And it sort of does happen and it can happen. But it doesn't mean it has to stay that way. And it doesn't mean to say that that's sort of like the end end goal. And so what I would encourage women to do is maintain a strength workout in perimenopause proactively and right through postmenopause, literally until the day you curl your toes up because we know that estrogen impacts our bone health and vitamin D and calcium are not the things that are going to keep your bone strong and healthy. There are multiple studies to show that the, those two um, vitamins and minerals help the outside strength of the bone, but they don't help the tensile strength of the bone, the inside strength of the bone. And estrogen is one of the things that you have in your body that keeps your bone healthy. When you lose that, your bones start to potentially break down, especially women who go through menopause quickly, like following cancers or hysterectomies. They become number one targets for osteoporosis. And it's, it's something that actually kills a lot of women every year. But strength training, every time you're doing something that pulls the muscle away from the bone, that moves strength side to side, you know, plyometric movement side to side, or lifting with heavy weights, that can literally reverse osteoporosis. There's DEXA scans that have shown women that have started strength training postmenopausal that have osteoporosis that have reversed the signs of osteoporosis after doing a strength training program. So it's never too late to stop. Right. Uh, never too late to start, not stop, don't stop, keep starting. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, it's been interesting to see. My mom is, um, she's 61. Yeah. And she didn't start strength training or anything like that until she was in her like early, I'd say like her mid fifties is when like the first time she ever touched a barbell and she was terrified of it. And like, you know, she had just never done anything like that. Right. So, and she has seen improvements in her bone density and her doctors are just like, keep doing whatever you're doing. Like she does CrossFit. She's just like a really active woman. And it's been interesting to watch her age, but improve as an athlete because she didn't have an athletic baseline or lifetime prior <laughs> and yeah. until her fifties, honestly, is when she started really pursuing fitness. And so it's just, it's been almost like an interesting anecdotal case study for me to observe. Actually brilliant. And I'm super, she like, she's like my hero now. That's wonderful. And, <laughs> and you know what else is so great about that? I mean, she may not have been struggling with this, but a lot of women have one of the number one symptoms of menopause is hot flashes. And it's just this thermoregulatory <laughs> system. And uh, um, I've never had them actually. And I wonder if it's because I do a lot of strength training. But what's interesting is there's been two studies that came out last year, one on perimenopausal women, so those that weren't through menopause yet, and some postmenopausal women. And they have shown that either like starting 
a resistance training program and maintaining lean body mass can help reduce hot flashes and other vasomotor symptoms by up to 70%. Women can have 40 or 50 hot flashes a day. It's miserable. So if you know that like potentially one of the things you could do, and it's an easy thing to do is start strength training to help your symptoms and do it, you know, but, yeah. but let's also just talk about what it does from a confidence standpoint. And I've already told you how women's self-confidence and self-esteem diminishes and it can go right down in, in menopause. Well, strength training is something that we know can just lift you up. It makes you feel capable and powerful. Exactly. And that's exactly what she said as someone who had no prior history of like literally any fitness. She was, I mean, really? I know a lot of people who, you know, I actually started an Instagram account for my mom because she's just, we call her like the mom for everyone, but you know, she never, she was a single mom raising us. And so she never even really had the time or capacity for fitness, couldn't afford a lot of things when we were kids. And so it wasn't until we were literally in college and maybe getting out of college that she was like, well, I see you're doing CrossFit. What's that? Can I do that? And you know, this was a very long time ago. And you know, she had a been in menopause. And I remember her, like she would just get these hot flashes. Anytime she would make dinner, she would just be like taking her clothes off and like sweating. And she's like, Oh my God, I just can't. But she has said, my point of that tangent is that she feels incredibly empowered and capable in her body. And when she not like in a, a mean way, but when she compares herself to maybe some of her peers and her neighbors and stuff like that in the community that she lives in, she's just, her body and her abilities and fitness kind of put her in a category of someone 10 to 20 years younger than her because of what she chose to start doing even later in life. She feels really good and the best and the fittest she's ever felt at 61. And it's and crazy. Esen- and essentially, I'm sure her health markers reflect that too. Yes, absolutely. And so that's something that, you know, she does monitor really closely because she, you know, there's some things that might be genetically out of control, but for Mm -hmm. the most part, she lives and is able to have a quality of life that I think a lot of people don't know is possible. I think that's what, that's key. I think you see that I'm sure in your everyday work that a lot of women are like, I, I don't think I can, and I don't even know where to start. Like, it's just a really hard, they feel like it's a hard entry point, but it doesn't need to be. Um, I spoke with Dr. Lisa Lewis, who's a psychologist. I don't know if you know her. She's married to Tony Gentlecore and she did her PhD in motivation. And she, she's just brilliant to listen to. She essentially says fitness can be anything to anyone. And if you want an entry point, it just has to be something that makes you happy. Something right. that you're going, you're going to do again. And if, if we're out here saying you've got to do CrossFit or you've got to lift weights and someone goes, well, I don't want to, well, then we're never going to persuade them. Right. But if we say, well, why don't you go to the local gym once the pandemic's over? Why don't you go to the local gym and do a Zumba class right. um, if, if you like dancing? And it might be the entry point to curiosity Absolutely. that might make them, make them look on the gym floor and go, well, why is she doing that thing with the TRX? I wonder if I could try that. And, and, and that's essentially how I've approached the fitness in my book. There is a, I've written a 12 week fitness program. It's a strength program with, it's like an at home dumbbell one. It's probably something very similar to the, you, what you would offer your clients, right. but it's like an, it's, I, I essentially wanted an entry point for women to say, look, I can do this. 
here's some exercises I can try, even if I just do like 10 minutes a day, just giving it a whirl, you know, it all counts. Absolutely. I say it's just like the low hanging fruit, like do whatever you can in whatever capacity you can, just like it's something just like there, there is something for everyone. It's just finding what that something is and being able to have a coach and someone that you can trust or even like a friend who, you know, where we take any shame or embarrassment out of being a learner and trying and it's like, okay to suck. And what's been my sister and I always laugh at my mom because she's like definitely the oldest one in her, in her CrossFit class. And she just likes going and she just likes being the grandma there. And, and she is not afraid to suck. She's not afraid to try something new. And just like, she signs up for these cross country skiing lessons and does this and joins these things. And I don't know if it's age and maturity or just like her spirit, but she just does not care at all about being a beginner at 60 something. And I think that's something that I've I've really tried to implement in my life too, is like, let go of my ego and be willing to try something new because there will be athletic and mental benefits to that kind of like, I guess, new challenge and introduction and just like, just learning something new. I think I think that attitude shift that you mentioned earlier is is key. I see that all the time, and I sort of see that for the women that have sort of like gone through mm-hmm. the the worst part of perimenopause. And I write in the book about something called the the U curve of happiness. It's again, it's something that's been studied psychologically, and and if you imagine the letter U, the bottom of the U is sort of the doldrums, you know, like the, the, the crappy part. And that seems to fall around people's lives in their like late 40s, early 50s. And then the U curve starts to lift and shift. And it shifts us towards being more content and more happy and just really embracing life more. And I see that in postmenopause, that upward shift. And I also think that, you know, we lose a lot of inhibitions. We lose a lot of the fluff. Like I know I've, I've shed lots of the fluffy stuff. I don't suffer fools as much. I just don't have the time or energy for it. And I think that, you know, it's maybe a life experience that I'm talking about. I don't know, but I do see that type of attitude shift, but your mom's taking it to the next level. And I sort of now aspire to be her. I'm going to check out her Instagram page. That's awesome. I know it's so funny. And she, yeah, she has no idea what's happening on her Instagram page. (laughs) (laughs) But I think it's really just having, it's, it's owning that, that spirit of I'm going to be as proactive as I can. And I'm going to enjoy as much as I can. And I'm going to take whatever's thrown at me and, and just try to advocate and get more information and really just, you know, I talk about this in literally every program or course I've ever created, but I want women to, to be experts on their own body and to be able to ask questions, to be able to stand up for themselves, to be able to have just some context. We don't know everything, but know enough to know when something's not right and know enough to not settle and to keep asking, to keep pushing and just to keep pushing for a quality of life. It's not about what you look like. It's trying to have a quality of life about how you feel from the inside out. Yeah, exactly. I couldn't have put it better myself. I feel exactly the same way. And I think that as women, especially more, I think more than men, we were always so curious. We always want to know why. I know when I go to my gynecologist, I'll say, but why why did that happen to me? And I'll go, I I don't know. And you may never know, but you can still ask the questions and, and try and get a better picture. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Well, oh my gosh, thank you so much for all of this insight. I feel like I, I have learned a lot today and I feel I feel comfort knowing that there are resources and that you've helped pave this way in this conversation for so many like-minded women. Cause I feel like we learn best when it's relatable and you've created that with this conversation and with your book, Metapocalypse. And so tell us it's a little bit more about when it's coming out. And I mean, it, by the time this podcast airs, it should be, it should be out into the world for you guys to read. So I'm excited. <laughs> so the book is due out on October 18th, which is World Menopause Day. Like I said, who knew? It's, there's a, a day for menopause, but it comes out um, October 18th. Yeah. And it's available on all online retailers because I don't know if anyone's going to the shop yet. But if you go to my website, which is fitandchips.com, F-I-T-N-C-H-I-P-S, fitandchips.com forward slash books. I have a list of where you can buy that in the UK and North America. And I really do encourage you to use your local bookshop if you can. Just think they need all the help they can get right now. Well, thank you so much for sharing this conversation. We will link that website and the book in the show notes and make sure that it is accessible. We are so thankful for this conversation. And I think that it's going to resonate really well as a way for everyone listening to say, I now know. I now have some context and information and we we have some resources, which is really solves that I wish I would have known sentiment that so many women experience in a variety of ways. So thank you. You're welcome. And thank you for just having this conversation. The more we talk about it, the less taboo it will become, right? I'm here for it. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you're a pregnant athlete and you're looking for information about how to train through your pregnancy, what adjustments to make, things like that, I want to tell you about two resources that I have. The first one is a free download. You can access it on my website and it goes over how to adjust your exercise through pregnancy. Just like the basics, the things that you need to know that you can implement right away. If you just want a program that's done for you that you can trust and know that it was already designed to take into account the changes that your body is experiencing during pregnancy, where it respects the demands on your core and pelvic floor, but also the kind of fitness that you want to do, I created a program with my friend and colleague, Heather Osby, called the Pregnant Athlete Training Program. We also have an at-home version of that if equipment is something that uh, you don't have a whole lot of access to. So those are two resources that I highly recommend every pregnant athlete looking at and using as a way to give you the confidence and guidance that you need to navigate this chapter well, because your pregnancy can really help set you up for your postpartum. 